If you have your Bibles, let's go to John. I want to share some things from the Word, and then I'm going to just talk some practical stuff, and then I believe we're going to have a Q&A. Is that correct, Pastor? Okay, cool. So I want you to, if you hear something, I want you to write it down. If the Lord is speaking to you about something that I'm not speaking about, I want you to write it down. If something sticks out to you, I want you to write it down. Being a good steward of what God is giving you is is the way to assure yourself of getting more. Many times we're asking for more, but we're unfaithful with what we have. And the best way to show God that we really want more is to steward what we have well. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do that. Before I get in my teaching, I guess you guys all have eyes and you guys are, I'm sure your eyes are working. I have a book table back there. I don't really want to spend time talking about it. I've written some books and they're back there. And so if you like the teaching, you may like a book. Um, and, And so that's kind of my commercial on that. And that's it. So let's go to John 4. And I want to talk about the prophetic, I want to talk about uh, a revelation of Jesus, I want to talk about words of knowledge, I want to talk about cultural engagement, I want to talk about uh, engaging people that are different than us, I want to talk about how the prophetic is activated, I want to talk about some things from this passage that um, will help you not just have better church services. How many of you know the world is not looking for better church services? In case we didn't realize this, the world is not flooding our church services because we've got better seats or bigger lights. And even if that draws people, it doesn't keep people. If people don't have an encounter with the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, they're not going to stay. Cool may draw someone, but cool doesn't keep people. And um, cool is like, it's better than not cool. Um, because, you know, if you're cool, you can maybe at least have a chance to talk to someone about the fruits of the Spirit that they don't understand, that if you weren't cool, you may not even be able to have someone's attention. But cool isn't enough. It's not going to do the job. And so being uh, more relevant and compromising more and watering everything down to the least common denominator doesn't create disciples at all. And it doesn't do what it is that you're here to do and become and pursue. So um, we need to get this right. Watch this. John chapter 4 verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Watch this. Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. What does this teach us? This teaches us that Jesus is aware that they are hearing something that is incorrect. The religious people are hearing something that isn't happening. See, how you listen determines what you will hear. Most people do not hear what's being said. Most people hear what they want to hear, not what's being said. See, this is important. So now Jesus knows what is happening and they're hearing something else. Also, you see how there is a, there in, the, in the minds of the religious, there is some sort of a competition between Jesus and John when it was actually John who set up the ministry and prepared the way for the ministry of Jesus. They both started their ministry with the exact same one-liner. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So John and Jesus aren't competing. But through the eyes of the religious, it's a competition. See, because competition only exists where there's lack, and that's the world they live in. Right? What are we doing? We fight. You go to, you're fighting for first place. Why? Because there's only one first place. That's not how it works in the kingdom. For those of you who have kids, when I had my second kid, I go, how am I going to love my second kid the way I love my first kid? And then when I, she came out, I realized, you're all my favorite. Right? It's very different 
Um, all right, let's continue. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then he comes to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, watch this. Jacob's well was there. <laughs> Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is 12 noon. There comes a Samaritan woman to draw water. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat or food. Now, this is fascinating. Because Samaria is like Patterson, New Jersey. (laughs) You you don't go through it. You go around it. This is is most Jews in Jesus' day... Instead of taking the shorter road, they would take the longer way to avoid going through Samaria. So what religion wants to avoid, Jesus wants to go to and through. So what man would overlook and what man would bypass and what man would avoid, Jesus intentionally engages This is important because he's going to set the stage for something that's powerful is going to happen, but it doesn't ever happen unless he first shows up. And what's even more profound about this story is that no one's here with Jesus except one person. John. It says that his disciples went to go buy food. Who's recording the story? John. What did John say? I only write the things that I've heard and seen. What does this mean? This means if you stick close to Jesus, you're going to see things that other people can't see. It means that if you choose to be with Jesus over doing something for Jesus, you will see Jesus do things that other people will miss. So we have to learn how to position ourselves so that we can see what he's doing while other people are engaged in something else that doesn't mean as much. Now, God bless them. Thank God they went to get lunch because we need lunch. Right? So this is not a works versus a... That, it's not that. It's that there was something that Jesus wanted someone to see and John stayed and was able to see it. God bless the guys that got lunch. I'm not criticizing them. I'm simply saying that if we choose to be with the Lord and live with that posture, we will be able to see what others miss. All right? Now, Jesus intentionally, being a Jew and being a rabbi, engages with someone who others would avoid. In fact, she's going to a well at the heat of the day, which is when no one went to the well. That's why the only person at the well is her and Jesus and John. Because in these cultures, which I just came from Haiti, I I literally across the street from the house we were staying in, the condition of two-thirds of the world hasn't changed in 2,000 years. So the next time we feel bad for ourselves stuck in traffic with our heated seats and, you know, navigation and all the things that we're going through, it's not that bad. I promise you. And so two-thirds of the world's condition hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Last two, three weeks ago, I was in Haiti, across the street from my house, no running water uh, in most houses that we were in, except the one we were in. And across literally this dirt road and maybe 30 feet to the right, or actually be to the left, was a well, and everyone gets their drinking water and their bathing water from that well, right? So, and because it's hot, people go in the morning, especially if people have to walk a long way to get there. So this woman is known by lots of dudes in the town. So she probably doesn't want to see all the other ladies who are getting water because she may know some of their husbands. Right? What does sin do? Sin further isolates people. Right? What does sin create? Shame and shame leads to isolation. And so she is trying to avoid people. And Jesus is intentionally engaging someone who not only would be avoided by people, but is trying to avoid people. So who is Jesus trying to engage with? The forgotten. 
Because when we look at the prophetic, we have to remember he's engaging someone who other people would not want to engage. So if we want to talk about gifts and healing and power, we're talking, if you want to talk power, you got to go to people with problems. <laughs> you, want, you want words, you got to go to people with confusion. You want wisdom, you need to go to people who are lost and have no direction. Right? All right. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw out water. Jesus says to her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy food. Then says the woman of Samaria, how is it that you being a Jew ask me of a, of, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now she addresses, there's a man-woman issue and there's a Jew-Samaritan issue. Jesus is trying to remove the walls that exist culturally and, you know, um, Sexually, but not in a sexual way, in the male-female thing. So Jesus is trying to remove walls, and she's identifying the walls of which why he shouldn't be talking to her. See, when people are used to living in isolation, they are used to building walls. Because they believe that those walls are for their own protection, not realizing those walls are actually their own deception. Not knowing, this is dangerous, isolation. I have to talk about this when we talk about the prophetic, because prophetic people, a lot of times, especially unhealthy ones, are lone rangers who isolate themselves. And that's unhealthy. You want to be a prophetic community of people who live in community, who grow together, who move together. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophets. That means what you say has to be subject to other people's judgment. Ten, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked me of a drink, and he would give you living water. The woman says to her, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From where then have you that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drink thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. But the water that I give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, before we go more into what he's about to say to her, because he hasn't even hit her yet. He hasn't even given her the word. He's, he's going to drop it on her. But before we do that, I, I want to I show you something. There's something very interesting here that it's easy to pass over. And this is what it is. It says in verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. But what's interesting is in verse 5, it says that Jacob gave the well to his son Joseph. But the well wasn't Joseph's. It was Jacob's. (laughs) What am I saying? I'm saying that you know whose well it is? The person who dug it. Right? See, this is something... Right, We're talking about cultivating. You are not looking to drink from someone else's stream. You here are here to dig a well. And I know that there's some movements and there's some expressions of our stream that want to tap into someone else's well. And get a little drink. But that's not for the thirsty. The thirsty need a well. And the thirsty have to learn to dig. That's a different type of intensity and hunger and thirst and also a different type of uh, satisfaction. Now, think of this. Jacob gives Joseph a well, but the scripture doesn't call it Joseph's well. Calls it Jacob's well. Even the Samaritan realized it as that. And 
Now, so what happens is through an act of, you know, kindness, um, the well is then given to the Samaritans, which are not the people of God at that time. And then it's like a setup because the Samaritans then find out who is the Lord of the world, who is the Israel's Messiah, who is the Savior and the Lord and the King and the Divine and all these other words, Bible words. But it started with a man giving someone a well. Do you see this? This encounter was predicated on, again, crossing cultural lines in giving something to someone who they had no reason to give it to them. Like, you know, are, are you seeing what, what's happening? So Jacob gives a well to someone. It's not his. It's, why? He gives it to them because he's like that. See, the people of faith, this is really important. The covenant people of God are always givers, never takers. It's really important that that's, the world needs to see the church as an extended hand. Not, not extended like this, extended like that. The world's perception of us is this. We have to reframe how the world sees by showing them how the kingdom operates because the kingdom has no needs. The kingdom has no problems. The kingdom has opportunities and limitless resources that we can have access to by faith when we do what God called us to do. And when we show up where God shows, uh, you know, has called us to show up. So now, Jacob gives a well to people that others may not have. Jesus shows up in a place where others would not have. And those seeds that he sows into the heart of that woman bear fruit in that city. And that city later you're going to see is the first city to declare that Jesus is Israel's Messiah, which means he is the Savior of the whole world. Because if he's not Israel's Messiah, he cannot be the Savior of the whole world. Because the promises were given to the people of covenant. And if the story isn't told correctly, we miss it. And then we wind up worshiping Israel, which is a whole other story, and I'm not going to touch anyone's that today. But I will say, if we don't tell the story correctly, we emphasize things that the scripture is not. Are you, are you guys tracking with me? This is important. Um, he says, if, if, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for a drink or for, for water. And so this is the basic, I, this is really simple. Do you want a prophetic word? How many of you want a prophetic word? I don't mean by me or by a prophet. I mean, how many of you want to actually give someone else a prophetic word? All of you, that's why you're here, right? So guess what? You want to know the first key to giving someone a prophetic word? Engaging with people. Do you know that you don't have to have a prophetic word when you start engaging with someone? You can just be friendly. Smile, talk to people that others wouldn't, show interest in people that others don't, be intentional about not avoiding people that maybe you'd like to, right? Just kind of step out of where you are into where someone else is. How are you? Are you thirsty today? You know, who are you? Where are you? Like Jesus is really in this passage is just, he's intentional, but he's also practical, he shows up at a water, a well, talking about water. Go figure, right? He goes into the temple talking about the law. He goes to a fish village talking about seeds because he's talking with blue-collar, you know, workers. You have to know your audience. You want a message? Know your audience. For those of you, some of you are going to go on to speak. And I'm not just talking about to, you know, some broken people on the street, but there's people here, I believe, that are going to speak to God's people and they're going to grow in their ability to communicate. And this is something, whether you're prophesying to someone or whether you're speaking in front of 10 people, 30 people, or 1,000 people, whether you're speaking in your culture or a foreign culture, there's three things you need to know. You need to know your message, you need to know your audience, 
And you need to know why you're saying what you're saying. So you need to know what you're saying, why you're saying it, and who you're saying it to. That matters, really matters. That's important, especially if you're, whether you're talking or teaching, uh, prophesying or preaching, that, that is really, really critical. 15, the woman says to him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. Jesus says to here, watch this, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said well, I have no husband. You have had five husbands. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. No, all right. You, <laughs> you had five husbands and whom, <laughs> whom you're shacking with. <laughs> He's not your husband, you know. You have had five husbands and whom you now have is not your husband. In that you said truly, the woman said, sir, now it's just calling him sir I perceive that you are a prophet watch her change the subject our fathers worshipped in the mountain and you said that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship she gets miss is five or six husbands you know the first thing she starts talking about church That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about her husbands. She's now, she diverts the subject to where people worship. That's not what Jesus is engaging with. She's talking about religion and he's talking about what holds her hostage. He, with a prophetic word, is putting his finger on her issue and she is pointing to something else. This happens when you prophesy to people. You know, especially if you hit it dead on and you're accurate, there will be times where you'll be right on and people will be wiggling on you because they don't really want to deal with what God is actually saying. See, one of the, one of the issues is when we come to God with a preconceived notion, we miss what he's saying because we don't want to hear what he's saying because we want to talk about something else that's not in here. It's out there. She's talking about where do people bow down towards some mountain. That ain't got nothing to do with her five husbands and her life that's miserable. And why she's going to the well at 12 o'clock to avoid people. But God is not avoiding the one who is avoiding people. See, God shows up in the midst of our problem. Where does this prophetic word show up? In the midst of her problem, in the midst of her bondage, in the midst of her shame, in the midst of her hiding. And it uncovers what's going on in her life because God wants to cover her. This is important. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come around here. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour has come when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. <laughs> um, we worship... Uh, what we know, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour has come and now is that when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. The Father does not seek worship. God is not looking for a good song service or in, uh, the next hot CD. He's, he's not interested in that. He's looking for worshipers. People whose lives are laid down, whose lives are surrendered. The word worship many times in the New Testament is the word prostrate. That's what worship is. Now you saw that I did that because what I do that is I want to remove all distractions, especially my phone, which is the worst distraction. And I lay on the floor and I close my eyes and I engage and I say there's nothing in this room or anywhere else going on in the world that's going to stop me from engaging with Jesus because Whatever is going on, he knows it. And whatever needs to be going on, he knows it. And whatever I need to know, he knows it. And whatever needs to happen tonight, he knows it. So I'm going to engage with him because that's the best place and the best person to engage with. Right? So he is not looking. The father is not looking for prophetic words or prophecy or worship services. He's looking for worshipers which are people 
who are subservient to him. So when he says something, they say, yes. Because the gifts of the spirit, the prophecy, the healing, all that stuff is nothing to God. Nothing. It's absolutely nothing. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to speak in tongues all night for it. If you show up and you do what God says, you have access to God's power and whatever gift you need to manifest his kingdom and reveal his nature will be available to you through Christ by the spirit. That's it. It, it, You don't, I mean, you don't have to like 19 classes on it. Those are great and I love them and I even do them. I even wrote about some of them. But I'm telling you what's most important is if you're willing to go places that other people avoid, if you're willing to go to people that other people avoid. Because the gifts flow where there's a need and where there's a need is there's a problem. So if you want to put a demand on the gifts, show up where the problem is. Most people don't want to show up where the problem is. Most people want to pray right here. Standing under this light. Bam. Look at that. I look great. I'm going to right? That's where most people don't want to really go where things are going wrong. Right? Often our prayer is, here I am, send me. But what we're really praying is, Lord, send them. When he got off his throne and went to us. Do you see how Jesus is being intentional again about marching through a place that others won't? It's, there, there's something there because before the prophetic was activated, Jesus had to go somewhere. He had to go out of his way for someone else to engage and to talk to someone. And then in and through a normal human conversation, you have, what do you have? You have super and you have natural. So you show up in the natural, and you listen to God, and then God can do something supernatural. But you have to show up. You know, often, many times, our prayers are trying to convince God to do something he's commanded us to do. Right? Often that's with good intentions, too, but it's a lack of understanding. Um, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman says to him, I know the Messiah comes, which is called the Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her, I that speak to you am he. Do you, do you realize that he's not talking to a Jew? He's talking to a Gentile, a pagan, a big time heathen. I did not come for the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. He says plain out, I am him. You don't see that a lot. He's now engaging her. He he read into the very depths of who she is and what is going on. And then he opened up exactly who he was to her. This is showing us something that's critical about the prophetic. And you can take it back to the very first prophecy in the whole Bible, which is Genesis 3.15. And when something is first happening, it's setting a precedent. The first prophecy is that there would be a seed that would come forth. And that seed would crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise its heel. Matthew Henry, the commentator, said that happened when Jesus' feet was nailed to the tree. His heel was bruised, but the serpent's head was crushed. So the very first prophecy reveals the nature of the prophetic and the purpose of the prophetic. The prophetic first and primarily reveals Jesus. Secondarily, it opens up God's redemptive plan for humanity. So what happens here with these prophetic words, when he dropped these words on her, she knew who he was because of the words that he dropped on her. And that's exactly what should happen when we give words to people. When we give words to people, they should know who he is because of what we said. Right? There should be an unveiling, a revealing, a disclosure of the heart of God and the love of God and the truth of God and the grace of God to people as God speaks through us. 
So that means that prophecy is not to draw more people to me. It's not to get more likes or more views. Prophecy is to reveal Jesus so people will be more intimately engaged with him. Prophecy is not fortune telling. The church, they want fortune. Many people in church want want a fortune teller. They don't want a prophetic word because everyone has 900 prophetic words. Do you know what a prophetic word will do to you? It will ruin your life. A real prophetic word will get Joseph thrown in a dungeon. It will get you sold out by your brothers. You want a prophetic word? You're going to wind up in a lion's den. You want a prophetic word? You're going to wind up in a manger or on a tree somewhere. You want a prophetic word? You're going to be wind up in prison in Rome. You, you want to really present? You're going to wind up on an island with crazy people. John, <laughs> people want a prophetic word. All you need is one, I promise you. One will almost kill you. Right? But now, what would happen if we would give ourselves to the word that God has already revealed to us? Here's, here's the key. This is really important. And this, is hap- this happens relationally. And it happens in, in the economy of God with words. If God tells me to do something. And I'm sure. And I got some stable people that I can run this by. And they go, yeah, that's God. Like we know. It's not just some voice talking to me out of nowhere. But we know. Like this is a God thing. Adam should do that. When I set my heart to obey God. And I walk in that direction. Everything I need, whether it's resources or relationships or people or opportunities, will be on that path. If I deviate from that path, I will miss what God said because I'm not walking after what he said. But if I do what he said and I move after what he said, I will be a part of what he's doing, which means I'll hear what he's saying. I don't know if, if you ever have this relationship with God, but have you ever noticed that God doesn't change the subject? Like, if I do something stupid or bad, like, I'll be like, you know, I'll be talking like, so Lord, give me revelation. He's like, oh, say you're sorry to your wife. You know, like, you know, like he doesn't change the subject, right? Have you ever, like, tried to evade a question? Like, someone asks you, like, the question, and you kind of get, like, politician on them, you kind of just evade. Well, God doesn't, it seems like he doesn't allow us to change the subject. In fact, I think if we're sensitive and we're honest with ourselves, he sticks to something until we get it. You ever notice Jesus repeats himself? Uh, Not because he doesn't have something to say. Because what was said wasn't heard. So it's critical that we have a listening ear. And I'm going to just kind of just jump somewhere and then come back to this passage. But... In the Shema, in the, in the Hero Israel, it says this Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the word the one is really profound, but it actually means in Hebrew, a man. The Lord your God is a man. Um, and that's a great verse to use when you're witnessing to Muslims, by the way. Um, because they say God is one, and I say, I believe that too, but just in a different way than you, you know. But the Lord our God is one. And it says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. But it's interesting, before God tells us to love him, he commands us to hear him. Because God wants to be loved on his terms, not ours. And if we love someone, we'll listen to them. In fact, the more we love someone, the more we'll listen to them. The more we ascribe value to someone, the more we'll listen to them. I will incriminate myself in front of you. When I hang out with certain people, I will put my phone away. When I hang out with certain people, I won't. And subconsciously and subtly, whether I accept this or not, the people that we ascribe the most value to, we pay the most attention and we're listening to. Yes? But how, how about with God? If we ascribe value and worth to him, then what he is saying to us should should matter more than anything else in this life. 
And if we cultivate that sort of a posture before the Lord, then prophesying and ministering to people and all those other things are natural, normal outflows or output of what God is already putting in, which removes the pressure from us because it's organic, right? Just think about this. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Branches don't have to pray about bearing fruit. They're on the vine. So it's just what they do, right? So what's important is that are we connected? Because if we're connected, we're bear fruit. So the question is not will we bear fruit or how long does fruit take or what season are we in of bearing fruit? Because in the winter, a tree that shoots out fruit, it, it doesn't, it goes down to the root. So you could look at a tree, I have a picture in my, to remind myself, Chris Vallison did a real good thing with this, but I have a picture of the tree that was planted the day I was born. My grandfather planted a tree the day I was born. And I have this beautiful picture of this, this beautiful tree, and then the same tree is ugly and dead and with nothing on it. It's the same tree taken from the same place, but just at a different time. So what's happening in a season where fruit is coming out is the sap goes up to the branches and then fruit comes. Well, in another season where you seeming to be not fruitful, the sap doesn't go up. The sap goes down and strengthens the roots so it can hold the weight of the fruits. So there's times where God is doing things in our life where we don't see anything happening and all we feel is cold and naked. Nothing there. But it's going down so it's being strengthened so it can contain the full blessing. And in nature, that's necessary. And we are people who are in process. And if we understand that the, the, the blessing of fruitfulness is rewarded with the pain of pruning. We can be perceptive and not discouraged. And I remember this happened to us. I couldn't believe this. I'm like, God, I don't know why you're telling me this. I was in Dominican Republic with Will. And uh, it was me, Will, my wife, our team. We had a... Uh, Nice sized team. We were getting clean water to people, very poor people, Haitians who live in the Dominican Republic, and they make their living in the trash, picking through the trash from the hotels. It's like a nightmare. So we're ministering to them. We had a great time. I really felt like this was a fruitful time of ministry. I'm thankful. Like everything, we stayed for a vacation. Everything just worked. And the Lord tells me, I'm about to prune you. Because I know what pruning is. Pruning in, in, in an agricultural society has economic implications. It's a temporary loss for a long-term gain. Right? When I go home, one-third of the budget walked out. And you know who that affected? My wife and I. Personally, very personally. See, but since the Lord had told me that, what would have been discouraging and disheartening was allowing me to know that this is the hand of God for a temporary loss for a long-term gain. Today I went to a church, little church. You know that lady Jenny, the painter? Man, when I was going through that hell... She painted me a picture of the Lord being an anchor in the storm. I mean, that was on our shirts when this happened. That lady gave me a prophetic word today about the people that left and why. It was dead on. And through the whole process, I was encouraged because I knew that I was listening to the Lord. And here's the thing, there's, there's things that happen to us that are not necessarily our fault. And I'm not saying that so that we can play the victim, but I'm saying not every time something goes wrong, it's actually because we've done something wrong. 
That's an American idea, not a kingdom principle. In America, there's an idea of you do right, you get right, because we have an almost just justice system, more just than most systems in the world, but still not just. So we have this idea that if you do good, you get good, and sometimes you do really good and get really bad. Sometimes that's how it works. Like Joseph goes, okay, well, I'm uh, not going to sleep with my boss's wife. And he gets thrown in prison. That's really nice. He could have slept with her for six months and he probably would have never went in prison. But he also wouldn't have rewrote history. He wouldn't have been a part of history. See, sometimes, actually all the time, it's worth the sacrifice of doing what's right even if you get what's wrong. Because sometimes it's better to be right than get right. Because if you are right, you'll outlast people who aren't. You have longevity. When you have integrity, you have longevity. When you have no integrity, you have no longevity. And before the word of the Lord can bless you, it has to test you. And the word of the Lord tested Joseph. And when you have a word from the Lord, you will be tested. And when you're someone who gives words, you will be tested. Yeah? All right. I am almost done. So now the whole city, if you read and you follow through this passage, this is um, verse 39. I'm going to jump. Many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Okay, so one prophetic word led to many people in the city believing on who Jesus was. So he gave a word that revealed who she was and where she was and what was going on with her, and that word unveiled him to a city. So when a prophetic word is given, it is with the intention to reveal him, even if it reveals them. So if God brings exposure or God does something, but it's to reveal his son. God is not trying to reveal you or I. God is trying to reveal Jesus. Right? You guys, with that, it's very simple. So the, the, when, when, when the heart, core motive of, you know, you speaking to others, whether it's teaching, prophetic, whatever, prophesying, if that is the core heart motive, heaven will stand behind you. If you're there to do signs to point to him, signs will happen. If it's about you, God is not interested in that. God is. We were in in in, in a, We was. It was Christmas Eve. My wife is coming from Haiti. Uh, she's coming from the airport, like four hours away. They're like they're not doing well. Everything's going crazy. We have all these vehicle problems. But that night on Christmas Eve, every single person was healed. We brought people up in front of the crowd, and every single person who was prayed for in front of a crowd of people was healed. I wasn't standing there praying for everybody. I think I prayed for one person, another person prayed for another person, another prayed for a person, because it wasn't about who was praying. It was about who was healing and about who was sick and what God was doing. And when that is the core motive, when we are trustworthy because our motives are correct, everything is different, okay? That's really important. I was, was saying to, uh, to the second year um, students that when we first start with healing, or um, I use healing, but it's the same with prophecy. If you want to wow people with details so people remember who you are, that's not. We don't need more of that. Um, but if you want to give a word so that it, it creates faith and trust in Jesus, you can have details. You, you can have, you can, that, that's different than the attention on yourself, right? And so it's like when you start with healing, you're, you're like, oh, Lord Jesus, use me, power, use me, Lord, use me, Lord. It's not about Jesus or the sick, it's about you. And that's better than not wanting to pray for the sick. But through maturity and through the process, it becomes more about him and more about them than it is about you. And that's a healthy place to grow into. 
Now, we don't really start there. We, also, we all start with the, the childlike hunger and desire for God to use us, and that's not a bad thing. But that's like the same person in another, in another context who only comes to Jesus for what he can do for them. Like, that's cool if your kid is like three. But if they're like 36 and that's the only reason and way they relate to you, you have a problem there, right? So we should grow into actually being mature sons and daughters who are not in it for what he can do for us, but we're in it for him and what he can do through us because he's done something in us, right? We give ourselves to that process. All right, I think that this is pretty clear. I want to just throw some other thoughts by you. Um, If you have a word for someone, approach them in a friendly way. I'm going to go into some practical stuff. And then we're going to do a quick activation. If you have a word for someone, approach them in a friendly way. Be kind and ask permission to share something with someone before you share it with them. Now, I'm going to give you something really, really human and not even spiritual. Sometimes it's good to engage people with a friendly compliment or a kind word. Now, I'm not talking about lying or schmoozing with people. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about that kindness softens the soil. And if you want to plant seed, you've got to learn how to soften soil. Because people's soil is jacked up. And the first thing that we learn in the parable of the seed and the sower is the problem isn't with the seed, it's with the soil. All right? Ask them what you are hearing. Bring the word in the form of a question. So let's say I, I you know, I walk up to someone and, and I, I, I hear something or I see something. I'm not going to say, you know, like, you were dropped on your head when you were 15 and uh, that's why you hate everybody and your parents hate you and you hate them and so you're really dysfunctional and that's why you have a lot of debt. Does that make sense? Like, that's probably not a good way to give the word, right? You might want to start by saying, I've done some crazy stuff. You might want to start by saying, how's your relationship with your dad? And if they back away, respect that. Jesus never took stuff and jammed it down people's throat. Didn't do that. He didn't cajole people to follow him. He didn't manipulate someone into a sinner's prayer. That's not the kingdom. So you want to get their permission because they're human beings. You don't want to rape their free will in the name of prophecy. You don't want to abuse them with authority. You want to use authority to serve them in love. Right? So don't, okay, here's another. And this is something that we do, we've all done this, but let's say I'm looking at, let's say Pastor Walter, and I see a picture of a red Corvette, let's just say. I should not, as, as me giving a prophetic word to him, interpret what a red Corvette means to me. Why? Because a red Corvette may be something totally different to him. Like for me, a red Corvette could be a dream. For him, a red Corvette could be like, God forbid, an uncle or dad or some person died in a red Corvette. And I could say red Corvette. He could be like, (laughs) and you could say red Corvette. And I could be like, yeah. Like it could mean something totally different. So that's why it's important if you see a picture not to interpret the picture initially. Give it in the form of, Does a red Corvette mean something to you? When I'm looking at you, I'm seeing a red Corvette. And if it doesn't mean anything, the way you've presented it, you haven't came on too strong, and now you still have relational equity, and you can still engage them, and you could still listen to them, because your prophetic word may not just come from you sitting there listening to God or some voice in the, in the, out yonder. You may listen to their humanness and to their brokenness. God may give you a word of encouragement for them that's more prophetic than you know, and it could be a phrase or a line, and it could go into them like a knife. And pull out what's there and impart hope and faith. So this is important because prophetic people who maybe see pictures 
often will interpret that and miss the word. I know that because I've done that, right? I'm not picking at people. I'm just saying I've made this error. And I would say that it's better and wiser to have a hard wire to present things in the form of a question. Because if I don't, if I come off too strong and I'm off, I've lost the ability to influence them. But if I come off gentle and gracious and not, then I have the ability to continue to engage with them. Like, let, let, me, let me give you, let me get you into my, um, kind of like how I would, like if I'm, if I'm getting a word, like let's say I, I look at you and I just see, I don't know, something I see like, you know, uh, sun and uh, trouble or this or that, like 14 different things, let's say, right? I'm not going to come and say, your son, you're in trouble, you're having challenges, you're tired. I'm not going to say all that stuff to you, right? I'm going to first ask you, do you have a son? And then you say, yeah. And I go, is he in trouble? And then you go, yeah. Now I know what I'm hearing. Now, I have her attention. I've come graciously. We've, we've made some human connection. Now I can unload the rest of the word with power because, because I know what I'm hearing. You see what I'm saying? Now, this is something that it takes time because you, I have struck out and done things. And it's important because you want to protect the person in the relationship because a word could be off, but... I love how Randy Clark says it about healing. Not everyone will get healed, but everyone must be loved. So the fact that I'm even stopping to talk to you means that you matter to God. And whether I have a wow prophetic word or like kind of like a lame duck, you matter to God. And at the end of the day, it isn't about me or how detailed the word is. It's about you. That's why I stopped. <laughs> right? And if that's the heart posture, you have a higher chance of getting a better word than if it's about your word. Do you see what I'm saying? Motives really matter in the kingdom. Jesus would always address the heart of a matter. Right? All right. Let me just give a few more practicals and then we'll do our little activation. I hope, I'm hoping that this is helpful for you guys. Um, responding to the spirit. Do you go and give a word immediately? Um, to me, that depends on, let's be honest, if I'm sensitive or I'm preoccupied. If I'm sensitive, I'll go and give the word. If I'm preoccupied, I'll be distracted. It also depends on the sense of urgency that I feel with the word. Often I will pray a little and then go over and even sometimes wait until I see the person getting ready to leave the restaurant to give the word. I'm, I'm pretending like, let's say, I'm sitting down at dinner and then I get a word. And now there have been times where I'll just use this because this is because it's experiential. It doesn't have authority. It's just it's just like saying the wall is red, right? There'll be times where I'm, I'm, I'm disturbed inside. And that sense of being disturbed gives me a sense of urgency. And if I want that feeling of disturb, being disturbed to leave me, I will get up and share the word then. If I can live with that sense of being disturbed, I just be, I'm being really honest. I will finish my meal or doing what I'm doing until I can then go and engage with the person. And sometimes it'll be right away and sometimes I'll wait on it. Sometimes I'll pray through it. Sometimes I'll go after it. But you have to learn how to discern not only the voice of God, but the tone of God. This is important. I'll show you in scripture. In uh, Revelation 1, it says that the voice of God was is as the sound of a trumpet. Right? Why? Because God had to get John's attention because God had things that he wanted to say to John. But then he begins to talk to John and it says, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. Before God can wash over you, he has to get your attention. So the tone of God's voice is determined by what he wants to say. It's kind of like if your kid is running in the street. Stop! Right? 
that you might scream like that because of the urgency. Now, if you're screaming like that because they spilled the milk, maybe you have an issue, <laughs> right? We've all been there, right? But, but the tone is determined by the urgency of what is being said. Tone matters when you, when you give words to other people too. People pick that stuff up. All right. Uh, if, if, okay, here's another one. If it is someone that I see frequently, I will pray and often wait until I see them. There will be times where you will get words for people and initially the word won't make sense to them. You were with me the other day with Dave. One of our good friends, it was his birthday, our CrossFit trainer guy, and we were in uh, the city having dinner with him and Will and my friend and, and our friend Laura. We were there and we were having dinner. And I said to him, I said, uh, David, I see a picture of you. You're on deck. What do you mean? I'm on, I said, you have a uniform. You're on the field. You have a contract. Um, you're, you're there. You got the donut on the bat. You're loosening up. You're on deck. You, you can see the perspective from the field, but you haven't stepped up to the plate yet, but you have a contract. You're signed. You're on the team. You have the uniform. You're ready to go. You're warming up. You're loosening up, but you haven't stepped up to bat yet, but you're next. And he's like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't feel next. And I said, oh, okay, I, I could be wrong. I'm just saying this is what, what I'm sensing. And then a few minutes later, he says, yeah, I have an investor who wants to help me with a CrossFit gym. And God bless Laura. Laura turns and says, you see, you're next. <laughs> you know, that's how women do. So she said to him, you see, you're next. I mean, because you guys are helpers. You were sent to help us because we need help. So she says, we do need help. When God said it wasn't good that man be alone, he knows. He created us. He goes, yo, y'all need some help. So, so now she says that voice of reason and he's like oh yeah that's true like and, and then he was able to see what was being said and I wasn't sure but I just that's really what I sensed and I, I waited some time on it because I didn't want to talk to him on the phone I wanted to talk to him in person so I want to encourage you that if you don't feel that you should call them right away like if you don't have a sense of that I encourage you talk to people in person it's powerful it's not the same as a phone call or a text message. This is another whole thing about communication that's important. Certain types of communication should not be on a text message. Right? You, when, you, now this is, when you began to engage me about us me coming, it was an email. I like that. I don't want to talk real important stuff on Facebook. We can start the conversation, but when we're tying down details, it's better to have it on an email or a phone call and then an email to, to work things out. This is really, really important in a generation where everyone is saying something, but hardly anyone is saying anything. We live in a generation that is very connected, but completely disconnected, right? And it, we can pick up cultural and societal norms and not fully be people that reflect the kingdom. Prophetic etiquette. Make eye contact and smile. Again, be friendly and kind. Listen carefully to them. Sometimes hearing people's pain and brokenness and having compassion is what will give you access to power or to, to words or to wisdom or to knowledge. Uh, ask permission to share again. Acknowledge that this may seem strange to them. You know, sometimes it's it's because like you go up to someone and you have you, you know you get into something deeply personal quickly. Like that's strange to people who have like some sort of normal boundaries. Like that's a lot. Like right away, and you say like I know that this may be a little strange or a little much, but when I was looking at you, I was just seeing a you know a car crash. Like is is are you? Do you have any injuries? Are you okay? And, and then give them time to, to respond. Present again the word in question form. And then if the word makes sense, ask them if you can pray for them. So this is important. Like let's say you get a word. Not only do you want to hear a word and speak a word, but you want to pray into that word. 
That's kind of like watering the seed. All right. I'm going to wrap up for today, but I want to leave you with one concept. In Acts 2.15, Peter begins, and the Spirit of God is poured out, and he says something like this. He says, these men are not drunk like you suppose. Which means, um, not only do we need uh, language for what God is doing, but we need language for what God isn't doing. That's, that's, you know, um, sometimes we have to be the ones to say what isn't happening. And one of the things with prophetic leadership is we have to be able to biblically define what is happening. Peter said that this is what Joel spoke about. So he took what was happening today and tied it to what was talked about that would happen. And um, the prophetic is really important for everyday life. And we have to be aware of what is happening. And we have to be aware of what is not happening. And um, in a prophetic culture and nurturing a prophetic culture, that's really important.